0: According to the Bible to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, we're going to pick up where I left off a couple of weeks ago, he follows Jesus' trek towards Jerusalem. The the eternal talk of redemption is ticking. Jesus knows that he has a date, a destiny, of of, uh, God's uh, plan of redemption awaiting him in Jerusalem. He's moved from the area of of, uh, Galilee. He's gone on the eastern shore. Uh, banks of the river Jordan down through an area called Perea. He's making his way gradually down towards Jerusalem. And yet, he's not isolating himself. Jesus is using every moment to preach, to preach, to to heal, to you know, to, to demonstrate to people. He's got the kingdom message that he's had from the time he stepped on the scene in the very beginning, chapter three of the Gospel of Matthew, he's still preaching the kingdom of God. He's still preaching the kingdom of God because he knows his time is limited now before he of course will go to the cross to make that ultimate sacrifice for the sins of mankind, yours and mine. You know, the theme of the message this, this Sunday morning would be the this. The way into the kingdom of God. And saying, Just think about that. The way into the kingdom of God is simple. Without crossing. So it's simple that a child should understand who Jesus is. And what sin is. And what Jesus did on the cross. And by the movement of the Spirit of God, pray to your seeing Jesus Christ, asking for forgiveness of sin. So simple, and grace we see following Jesus, being a part of the kingdom of God comes with cost. Something that you and I, begin, I might want to meditate on as we look at this passage in Matthew's Gospel is my relationship with Jesus Christ based on His demands, or is my relationship? With Jesus Christ simply based on my preferences? In other words, do I tailor my relationship with Jesus to fit me? My expectations and my limitations, or is it based on his commands? Something to think about. And then finally, this question What sacrifices have I made and am I making in order to follow Christ? Are sacrifices a regular part of your daily life from following Jesus Christ. So these are the things that you can think about. Look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, will begin in verse 13. Then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and and pray. But the disciples rebuked them as being the parents and the little children. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and, and departed from there. I think it was an understatement to say that Jesus cursed his co family. We just saw earlier in chapter 19 where Jesus preached uh, <coughs> a powerful message, if you will ended into a, a, a very uh, heated debate with the Pharisees, who gave a very powerful defense of traditional biblical marriage, against the backdrop of, of a culture that, that promoted no-fault divorce, very much like the culture in which we live, Jesus made it known. He stood for marriage as God the Father intended marriage to be. Oh, he was definitely pro-marriage. And hear today in this passage we see that Jesus sees us upon this occasion to look very passionately and publicly in defense of yet another segment of the family, another segment of society that particularly in his days was a very vulnerable segment of this society. A group of people that were oftentimes neglected and abused, and I speak of little children. You'll find something about the heart of Jesus towards children in this passage. In fact, this is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. So Jesus said, "Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Don't don't hinder the children from coming to me." Those of you that are relatively near the cornerstone may not know that before the Lord called me to full time pastoral ministry, I worked to the Department of Social Services. I worked specifically in the Division of Protective Services for Children, and my job was to investigate child neglect and child abuse. And uh, when those warranted evidence then prosecute these cases. Well, I remember the first case I had, I went out with my partners sure. to a section of the city of Winston-Claven, I'd never gone into. It wasn't, wasn't a very good area, but and nonetheless, we had a job to do. We, we found a little two- or three-year-old boy that had been severely neglected by his mother. She was a, a drug addict, and, and the, the, the conditions were deplorable. And so we did this, what we had the authority to do, and that is taking emergency immediate custody. And, and so I, I remember taking that little boy and I was just kind of new in protective services and I remember the flood of emotions that were coming over me as I was thinking about just how vulnerable this little child was and, and of course he was going through some separation anxiety, he didn't want to leave his mama and he didn't understand why this stranger was coming in and swooping him up a, I remember riding in the car she was driving and I was holding that little boy and he was crying and his tears and his nose was running and and I was just trying to take it all in. Oh my goodness, how how very precious children are. How absolutely vulnerable they are. And Jesus knew that. And so as we look at this, I want you to see something that Jesus is teaching... I see, already in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18, and verses 1 through 4, Jesus has already used the child to demonstrate a very important principle about the kingdom of God. He says, unless you come, as he took that little child, a small child, upon his lap, he says to the disciples, and that was a private lesson he was teaching the disciples, because they don't argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom of God. Jesus said, let me show you something. He that little child, put it on his lap, and he says, unless you come with the face of a little child, you do not get into kingdom with God. So, you see, Jesus is already highlighting children earlier in chapter 18, but now, as, as, as His disciples are trying to prevent the parents from bringing the children to Jesus, Jesus feeds upon this moment to also talk about the importance of children and how precious they are. I remember when I was back at home growing up, and uh, the older boys, the eight boys in our family. The older boys had a room upstairs. And uh, not all eight at one time, I'll mind you. But uh, we were up there, and my little brother, Don, he's got three brothers down from me. He was the cutest little thing when he was little. Now, well, anyway. Now, I love that. But he was the cutest little thing, and, and so he would find every opportunity he could to get upstairs to the big boy's room. Just to, Kind of see what was going on up there, and he was in the little boys room you downstairs, know, and he would just come around and just kind of mosey around. And he to see our stuff, and see the kind of cool things, and with, with lizards, with snakes, or whatever we might have up there, you know, because so it's fascinating to him. And I just remember one night we were up there, and little John came up there, and just you about three years old. And, and he was going through some of this stuff, and I just, I just, really, I just switched him up in my arms, you know, and, and, you know, I said, what are you doing up here, boy, you know, and he was laughing, and I said, you know, and I walked into the window, and I said, I think I'm going to just throw you away, and I'll never forget, this is crazy, like yesterday, because I was, I was acting like I was going, out the window and he just laid back, you know, smiling. He said, and he was just learning how to talk, good." And he said, Go ahead, throw me away. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, So, and he knew his big brother Wendell heard him. He knew how much I loved him. And, and, and I was just thinking, as I reflected upon that memory, little children are so precious, you know. Jesus wasn't naive to think that children were sinless. Everybody's born in sin. But he underserved the sexual innocence of children. And that's why I believe that when a child dies, and, and heaven forbid that that would happen, but he does. And you know that as well as I do. I believe that Jesus knows the innocence of that child before he reaches an age of accountability. That a just and holy God receives back into himself those precious souls. It gives me great comfort to tell parents whose child as God, you know that I'm confident that teachings of the Word of God you, you know reassure us that these precious innocent lives are receive back into the very presence of the Lord and we'll see them again someday. And some of you've got children that are in heaven have been there a while. Some of you got grandchildren that are there in heaven and you know I do and now I look forward to seeing them. I'm so glad that this is what the Word of God teaches about those precious children. as so Jesus embraces the humble but first of all, he chastises his errant disciples. Now, he's it fair to James and Peter and John and all the disciples because, you know, they, they knew that Jesus just had a very tough uh, got a debate with the, the Pharisees about marriage and divorce. And, and they know that he's probably mentally tired. They see the multitude pressing upon Jesus because He's working so many miracles. And probably just in good faith, they were thinking, the last thing He needs now is a bunch of violent, crying babies shoved in His face for them to be blessed as a parent to bring Him down. So the are probably thinking they're doing Jesus a favor. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord didn't look at it that way. Really, you know, if as we hold your place there, if you go to Mark's Gospel in chapter 10, in his rendition of the same episode, in verse 14, it says, but when, when Jesus saw it, when he saw the disciples rebuking the parents, like, get them kids out of here. Let not tell the master with them Lord. Not even nosed baby. How oh, something like that. It says in verse 14, the Mark chapter 10, but when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. He was angry with his disciples. And basically said, yes. Stop that. Let these children come to me. I want you to understand that these are uh, the stuff of the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven they represent The innocence and the trust <laughs> that could be. From the of the, to be in the hearts of those who occupy God's kingdom. <laughs> and so he uses this term. And mind you, there's a multitude around. The first time in Matthew, 6, Gospel, chapter 18, Jesus had the little child on his lap, that was a private lesson. He was talking to his disciples there. But now he's got a multitude of people around him, and, 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 and understand, Jesus is probably the first child, children's rights advocate because in that time particularly in the Roman culture the pagan culture surrounding the Jewish culture children were not regarded as, as, as valuable in your possession if you were a Roman man you could steal you could a child just like that I mean that was your possession children have no right. and Jesus was speaking before a multitude and he says, No, no, bring the children bring the children for such is the kingdom of heaven Send us a valuable lesson. The Lord invites those who seek Him. Aren't you glad? You see, I do that to God for them. You see, the words have gotten out from Galilee all the way down into the Korean area. The word has gotten up that this is not an average rabbi. He's not a run-of-the-mill teacher. This, this man has a compassion that, that you don't find with the typical Jewish rabbis. He has a compassion for sinners. He has a compassion for, for women. He has a compassion for the down and out. And he even loves kids. So so the parents are coming because they know that Jesus is a special person. They may not understand that he's the Messiah, but they they just want him to bless their precious children. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Oh no. He said, bring them here, bring them here. The only person I know that goes around kissing babies in trouble with them are politicians. You got a baby, watch out. They'll probably get kissed between now and November, so to be out in public. But, but Jesus was saying, He was saying to the parents, you know, know, Jesus' heart was touched because he saw these precious boys and girls, little ones, and he understood how absolutely corrupt sin had had made the culture around him. He saw children being neglected. He saw children being abused. He saw children being exploited. Oh, don't you know it broke his heart? He said, Who? Sure I want to bless them. Sure I want to lay my hands upon them and pray over them. Wouldn't that be great? If you were back then and you had a little daughter, a little son, you had a woman's age, you know, and Jesus was coming to them, you could say, keep blessing Jesus. You know Jesus still blesses children today, don't you? I love to go to the hospital after a couple of just had a baby, you know, and it's all exciting and everything. The mother's times the dog, the father's over a thousand feet in his mouth, eating snacks, having a good time smoking for not smoking for us, everybody. well I, I love going there and, and seeing that precious baby for the first time and all the news of that life and and if the attention provides i loved it, I loved it at that time with the mom and dog, I love to play a prayer. sometimes I'll hold the baby, I baby, I'll let your dad hold the baby. I'll just lay my hand on that baby in that warm blanket and, and, and pray, a and a blessing on that precious baby. Jesus, not the priest who blesses, Jesus blesses that precious little baby. And so Jesus encourages the parents to come to Him and He blesses the children. He He lays His hands on them and He, and he acknowledges how important they are. Oh man, this is timely. Very timely. You know, Sister Vicky, with us having days in Bible school, you know, Sunday night through July, I, I'm like Julie. I love Bible school. I, I love the, you know, it's, it's different. And I love the fact that the kids don't get to enjoy it all. The, the youth can get in on this now. The the adults can get in on this. Everybody. Listen, There's every a kid in all of us. When it comes to Bible school. Now, listen, I love the Bible school songs. I can't do all the notions unless I go home and rub down the gym day, but I love the songs. I, I love the, the, the special music. I love the decorations. That's why I'm glad they are doing it through the month. Because you just just one week, to put up all those beautiful decorations and yank them down. And then and the emphasis is upon the children, for sure. You know, the Vacation Bible School is one of the best evangelistic methods that's these today, of all different denominations, many children have been touched by the truth of God, by the Word of God, and if they won't come to a faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ at that time, the seeds are planted. And many of you, I bet, were influence towards Christ during those and Bible school. Of course, back in my own kids' days, it was just those little ring you could hang on your finger and some Kool and some that was it. But hey, we would take any excuse to get out of the back of school, for sure. Bible school. The so very to lot. You got grandchildren, the bring them. Got children in the neighborhood, bring them. But then I want you to move on as we look further in chapter 19 because not only does Jesus embrace the humble, but now in a very different twist. I'll remind you, Jesus has just now dealt with a group of people who are very innocent and humble and kind of screaming. And now he has an interesting fellow who comes to him beginning there in verse sixteen, chapter nineteen. Now, behold, one came and said to him, "Good Jesus, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life?" So he said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, put the commandments." He said to him, "Which one?" Jesus said, "You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery." You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Call your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth. I want you lack. Jesus said to him, If you want to be a perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When one man heard that thing, he went away sorrowful. And he had great possessions. In fact, Luke, in chapter 18 of the Luke's Gospel, calls him the rich ruler. He was a ruler of the synagogue. You might think about Jairus when you think about a ruler of the synagogue. he was a man who was deceived. He was self deceived. But you see, we live in a culture today where as many people are living, in self-deception. Oh, sure, they may have been deceived by liberal teachings of the Word of God, liberal preaching, false religions, but, but there, there are a lot of people who are sitting in the peers of Christian churches today who are very deceived. Now, this man, as you'll see, they are thinking they've got it made right with God. They think everything is cool between them and God. Because maybe they live a good moral life or maybe they are, are, are affiliated recently with some religious group or maybe they participate in giving benevolently to causes out there in the community. But they're basically a good moral person. They even have some record of church attendance. So if they're thinking, well, surely God's got to be pleased with me. The fact is, being religious or knowing about Jesus doesn't make me right with God. Simply being good, simply going through religious routines, and knowing something about Jesus doesn't cut it, brothers and sisters. It's much more than that. Because so Jesus challenges this man's misconception. His first misconception was about Jesus. He turns to, to, to Jesus and in the, in the address he addresses him, says, "You know, good teacher." And Jesus picks up on this right away. so he's setting him up. He says, but there's there's no good. There's only one who is good is God. There's Jesus trying to get this young man to see. He's trying to see if this man sees who he really is. Because if he came to Jesus, knowing that Jesus was the son of God, he would have recognized right away that he is good. He is the very embodiment of goodness to God. It starts over in John's gospel in chapter fourteen when Jesus is talking to his disciples and you know and he revealed that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and um and so he, he shares that with his disciples in chapter fourteen. Listen to what he says, verse seven. He says, If you had known me, You would have known my Father also, and from now on you know Him and have seen Him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to Philip, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? Who who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? If this young man knew who Jesus was, he would have just walked up and said, Presumption straight, hey, good teaching. He would have bowed down and said, You are God. You are the Savior. You are the Messiah. So he already had a misconception about that. He had a misconception about his own religion, his religiosity, if you will, because Jesus walked him through the commandments. It's interesting that Jesus, when the young man asked him, Well, which commandment should I keep? Jesus uses the, what we call the backside of the decalogue. The last of the six uh, of the commandments that deal with people's relationships with other people: honoring your father and your mother, not murdering somebody, not uh, committing adultery with somebody, not stealing from somebody, not lying to somebody, not coveting. Somebody. So basically, he's letting the young man look at himself in terms of his relationships with other people. And the young man responds. By the way, in verse twenty, he said to Jesus, "All these things I have kept from my youth." I'm a good person, Lord. When it comes to relating to other people, everybody likes me. I'm the greatest. I'm just as good as anybody out there. Today, Jesus didn't delve into the first of the commandments. They talk about your relationship with God. You shall have no other God. You shall not have Idols and bow down to idols, and you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Because Jesus knew this man had already was already guilty in that department. You see, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that our relationship with God is based upon the grace of God. In Romans chapter two, verses eight and nine, it says, "For by grace are you saved." So that's God's grace. It is unmerited favor towards us. I don't do anything. I can't do anything. Nor can you to save yourself. To win forgiveness of your sins. But by grace, God's grace, are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Not by works. Lest any man should boast. This young man hadn't got the message. He was thinking that in order for me to be right with God, I'll just do what Judaism of the day says, and that is, keep the commandment. And he was basically a religious person. And Jesus was him with that. But then also, Jesus helps him to see that he's putting this trust in the wrong area. He reveals the man's true spiritual condition. You know, Jesus said in Luke's gospel in chapter 9, verse 23, he says, if any man come to me, he says, he shall deny himself and take the cross daily and follow me. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not just deciding the prayer. I'm not having some emotional experience. It's a commitment. It's a life, right, wrong, sacrificial commitment. Jesus didn't say, Take up the game boy in your music chair, come on with me if it's convenient. If you want to be one of my disciples. No. He says, you'd be willing to sacrifice and so he, as he delves in on this man here, he gets to where this man's heart is. you remember in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there is where your heart is. And where your heart is is the object of your worship. Let me tell you, let me ask you today, What is it that occupies your attention the most? What is it that you yearn for the most? What is it that you focus on in your life the most? Then that's your treasure. For some of you, it may be your job. For some of you, it may be your bank account. For some of you, it may be a relationship with a, a person, whether it be a family member or a friend. For some of you, it may be leisure activity, or a house, or a car, or whatever. Listen, Whatever it is that occupies your heart, guess what? That's what you worship worshipping. Whether so you intentionally recognize that or not, Jesus is helping this man see his misplaced allegiance, if you will. And he's helping him to see the inadequacy of his faith. Jesus is doing this man a favor. You can he, keep this young young ruler. Change not. He's the truth. He's wrong. Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty one Not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of my Father in heaven. There are like this young man here. There are a lot of people who are taking themselves from the very of heaven because they are good and they do this and do that, and Jesus is going to say to them one day, Depart from me. I never knew you. What a shock that'll be. Because of the insufficiency of their faith. And so Jesus is helping that young man to see that. I mean in Luke's Gospel chapter 14 verse 33 Jesus is saying to his disciples in Luke's Gospel chapter 14 verse 33 he says if you don't forsake all that you have
1: and follow me then are
0: not willing to forsake everything that you have and follow me he says you can't be one of my disciples let me ask you very honestly you don't have to raise your hand and say it out loud are you willing to do that? If the Lord would the put his finger on your heart and say, I want you to take everything that belongs to you and drop it and go and follow me. Because the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ right now, it, it is it strong enough that you would do that? That's all you. you know, the Lord's not. He understands how we live in America. We've got to have our stuff. We've got to have our things. He's not going to ask anybody to do that. Amen. They introduced about 5,000 Southern Baptist international missionaries. Many who have done that very thing. When so God's Holy Spirit put a call to the foreign mission field on them. Listen, I've read testimonies. I've heard testimonies. I've gone to commissioning services and they cried like a baby. But when I see these young couples stand up there before the thousands and testify about quitting their jobs. Selling their houses, selling their cars, taking everything they've got, going there and going to a foreign country and living in virtual poverty. Why? Because they are Jesus Christ's disciples. That's not to say he's going to tell you to do that, but you, can you think he will you and hanging, clingy to things. Come and forget that there would be anything when Jesus would, be, would be call you to serve him. He would say, oh, I can't leave her, Lord. I can't leave him. I can't leave this. Oh, Lord, I don't want to go. You so, say, well, what does this got to do with this? Well, as we see, Jesus let the young man get off about all the great commandments that he felt like he had kept them all from the time he was youth. Now, I know what you're thinking. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Nobody's ever kept the law perfectly except Jesus Christ himself. This man was living a a, a life self-sickened, self-righteous, and self-deceived. But you know what? I believe the young man knew it. I believe deep down in his heart, he knew it. Because after he had recited the commandments, what did he say to Jesus? What did he ask him? What do I feel like? Jesus, I've put all the commandments and everything. But right. there's something <laughs> mad here. There's something missing. I don't feel like I'm plugged down it. <laughs> is there another commandment possibly? And the Lord nailed him right between your eyes. He's got him where he needs to get him. He says, he says. you ready? You really want to be complete and perfect and to ready? for eternal a life. There is the kingdom of God. He says, here's what I want you to do sell all your possessions. Don't sell it to your friends when you get a talk, Sell it and give the proceeds to the if, poor. They tell follow me. <coughs> One of the saddest moments in the Bible. <laughs> I believe it even boggled Jesus deep down. It sure bothered this young man, for in verse 22, it says when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions.
1: He realized,
0: Jesus had made him realize, that the faith that he had in God couldn't do He couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. And he went away. I don't know if the friend has ever given the opportunity to be saved. Him later, we don't know that. He may be in hell and have been for two thousand years. Of all we know, and will be there for eternity because he couldn't take the step of genuine faith to say, "Lord, if necessary, if you ask me to, I love you more than anything, anyone, and I'll follow you, Lord, and abandon everything if necessary." And remember what I said? Salvation. It's simple. Very part of the kingdom of God is simple. But it is costly. It is costly. It didn't cost you anything to be saved. Jesus paid it twice. He paid it all. For the cost of Calvary. He paid it all. But you see, this young man, like so many people today, suffered from the greatest, I think, to, to, to infiltrate. Modern man. And Paul hit it on the head in 1 Timothy 6 10. He The love of money. Not money itself. We need money. But the love of money for the root of all evil. There's nothing I don't believe out there that has taken more people to hell than dollar bills. Yes. Gold. silver And then the blood. That's what we Verse twenty-three. because now Jesus' disciples turning, they're sitting on the sidelines of watching this they're listening you understand that what Jesus is telling this young man he goes absolutely diametrically opposed to what was being taught in Judaism you understand that the Pharisees of that day and the, the Sadducees they promoted wealth they would be to themselves. And they were always looking for ways to get around, giving to God what was God's. Listen, they came up with all kinds of ridiculous laws because so the people hoard yes. what with their In fact, what they went so far as to say, according to some of the, the traditions of, of the Talmud, some of the scribes would say, that if a person gave more than a fifth of what they had to God as a sin, I don't, I don't excuse me, the scribes of God said, it's necessary to give everything 100%. So you see, the disciples said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Judaism says, you yeah, know, that, that wealth and prosperity and money and things is evidence of God's blessings. And so the more you got, the better you are in, in God's eyes. Well, let's go in with this teaching. And Jesus explains the kingdom criteria. Beginning in verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, and again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, some of you are here today, and you may be wealthy, and that's wonderful. I praise the Lord. I thank God He blessed you. But those are Jesus reasons to your wealth can get in the way. It's interesting that the Persians had a similar proverb to be real. Theirs was, it's easier for an elephant, because the Persians had elephants. They said, it's easier for an elephant to get through the eye of a needle than for this man to get into heaven. Well, Jesus knew that. Jesus didn't have any elephants around there. And they sure knew what camels were. And the camels represented the largest animals that the people the Jews had. So Jesus picked the biggest one. For us, it would be... I mean, the time's there are all kinds of elephants in the zoo now, I guess, but so anyway... I don't know, except for the lost and dog. Oh, that's a pretty big animal thing. So, but anyway, just imagine getting closer to the other evil. But anyway, Jesus is using a, 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 a hyperbole, an exaggeration to help people see that it's hard, and it even just being truthful, It is just being truthful, it's hard for people who have a lot to get into the kingdom of God, you know, they're so tempted to put their trust and their confidence in that things that they have. I can't tell you the times that I've. Going out on visitation, or some of our kids were going out on visitation. You know, one of those rich neighborhoods like Scott and Amber. We're go over there. now I'm just kidding, shop. We're going to some of these developmental, what mm-hmm. I call, I mean, these are not houses. These are castles. You just see a meadow with a drawbridge or something, right? humongous mindless things. And then you're know, going to knock on the door, you know, and explain, look, we're going to come some church, we're going to talk to you about the Lord, you know, and yet immediately you can see the reaction on the page. And in the conversation, they make it abundantly clear. Not all of them, but, but I'll take them for the a lot You know, I'm uh, comfortable. You uh, know, we're content. Well, oh, we have a membership with First Baptist, you know, First Methodist. You know, we, we have a membership with such and such churches. You know, we're, 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 we don't need what you're offering. I'm their security is in their belongings. Their confidence is in what they can can liquidate into cash and and and, and what they can see and feel in their hands. Riches in this world may be barriers to God's kingdom, and that's what Jesus is saying. Those who have a false security, those on their riches. You know this plays out in the Book of Revelation. You know the seven letters that Jesus. Is writing uh, to the churches through the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 3. I found this interesting as Jesus was talking to the church at Laodicea.
1: Honestly, they were
0: a pretty wealthy church. And here's what he says. He says to them, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, you Your wealth. Your physical, material wealth has blinded you to your absolute spiritual
1: nakedness and poverty. The self-sufficient
0: attitude slaves people of Jesus' day and slaves the people of today. This is today a terrible barrier to people coming into the kingdom of God. That's why it is so much easier in this life, to witness the people in Kenya and some of their courage You know, world countries—it's so much easier to witness to those people who live day by day by what they can raise and triumph up. Oh, listen—they understand how much they depend upon God. They understand, but in America and Western countries, it's hard to tell people about their need for for a Savior because they're so self-sufficient. So Jesus goes on in verse twenty-five. He says when his disciples heard it, they were exceeding their maid. said, how? <clears throat> who can you be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. Isn't it the truth? have talked about that. It's impossible for you to be saved. It's impossible for you to get to heaven on your own. But with God, salvation is possible. If so you answered and said to him, See, We have left all and followed you. You remember earlier, I mean, just years ago when we first started in Matthew, remember when Jesus called the disciples that were down by the lake, they were fishing, and he said, Come follow me. What did they do? They dropped their nets, they abandoned their boats, they turned their backs on all the things that were familiar. They followed Jesus. And is saying to Jesus now, Lord, bring that up. He's given up everything to follow you. for us. we need will one of the Jews. Verse 28, so Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the generation when the Son of Man sits on his throne, speaking of the second coming of Christ, on the throne of glory, you who have followed him will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake shall receive much? a hundred gold and inherit the everlasting life. Listen. You realize in Revelation chapter three, verses twenty one, and then in Revelation two twenty six it talks about you and I as Christians, we will sit on thrones and rule. And Jesus Christ we're not going to be second class services. We the Bible says has Believers believe in Christ, we will join Him in ruling over it. and renovating the earth if He will. In His second coming. Anything that He sacrificed for the cause of Christ, Jesus says, I will curse it a hundred times over. A hundred times over. Does the, the, the bottom line need to you cannot lose calling Jesus. You cannot lose power, Jesus Christ. And you may sacrifice some relationships in this life. You may sacrifice some material things in this life. You may sacrifice a position in the company or, or whatever. Listen, but you will not lose ultimately That must have done it for Peter because Peter didn't say anything yes after that. That was good enough. The Apostle Paul says, For me, to live is Christ, to God's name. It's a win win situation. When we follow Jesus Christ, you are not going to lose. You'll never going to come up on the short end of the stick. And I'll close at this quote by one of our missionary heroes, missionary Jim Elliott, back in the 50s, here in a group of young men just out of. Bible college went down to South America, to the trips of the jungle to to try to evangelize a very barbaric, head-hunting crowd of Indians, the African Indians, Indians. and they were killed. This is from that Jim Ellis' wife went went back later. And by the power of God, she was able to convert the very man that killed her husband.
1: So they evangelized
0: that whole trial. They so said had to take that spot of faith. So he lived and lived sacrifice. sacrifice. Then I read in his journal prior to that. He made this statement and it's a famous statement. I love it. He said he is no fool who gives what he cannot teach. To gain what he cannot lose. Oh, dear friend, don't you touch on the things in this world thinking that you've got to have it and sacrifice your relationship with God and Jesus Christ. There is no one, there is nothing worth holding on to I will cost you eternity in heaven with the Lord. So if you think about your relationship with Christ, is it based upon your preferences or is it based upon meeting his demands? What sacrifices agonizing, agonizing, will remain to cause of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you in Jesus' name that your words keep so clearly to us. Lord, I thank you that even as your mind was focused on the cross, as you were moving through the region of Perea, on your way to Jerusalem, and so you knew that you would die, agonizing, from wicked death, to pay the price that like i Lord, you were never so preoccupied that you didn't stop to minister to people, except the little children. And oh, the truth the truth of the kingdom of God. And Lord, we are the recipients of these wonderful words of truth. Lord, we benefit from your divine, eternal truth that you shared there before that multitude that day. So Lord, I pray that we'll all take stock of our lives that we will be in genuine self-examination and ask ourselves, are we truly walking after Jesus Christ or do we just have dead knowledge of Him? Are we truly in a a saving relationship with the Son of God or are we merely dabbling in religion? Oh Lord, help us all to be honest with You and to be honest with ourselves. If there's anyone here today, Lord, that has not made a genuine profession of faith to follow You immediately, and to be forgiven of their sins and to have the gift of eternal life, Lord, I pray today that if you, if you speak to their hearts and give them the faith to make that step of commitment. We thank You for salvation, Lord. We thank You for sanctification and make You continue to work in our lives even after we come to know You as Lord and Savior.
1: And by faith,
0: Lord, we look so forward to that ultimate glorification when not only will we be with You, but we will see You face to face And we will be like you. And we praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.